This is C++ Club 164, which took place on the 10th of August 2023. Right, let's start with um, the topic that you suggested, Gianluca. Algorithms and Data Structures podcast mentioned us in Indeed. episode 136, C++ on C Live. They did mention us in, in the first couple of minutes. And uh, I'm quoting uh, Bryce, is CPP Club a real thing? And uh, Connor says, the least subscribed to C++ podcast. Go subscribe to whatever this is. So thanks, Connor and Bryce, for mentioning us. I mean, that was amazing. I didn't expect they actually... I mean, <laughs> Connor knew we existed. Uh, I was very surprised. Uh, uh, so thank you very much for the shout out. Yeah, definitely. And you remember the Pirates of the Caribbean, where someone says to Jack Sparrow, you're the worst um, pirate or captain that I've heard of. To which, uh, to which Jack Sparrow says, ah, but you've heard of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, that's good. Right. Next one is a new tool, Clang UML. It's a customizable automatic UML diagram generator for C++ based on Clang. So it can generate various diagrams. There are examples uh, on GitHub, like this one, for example, class fields and methods. So yeah, the, the all too familiar style of UML diagrams can be automatically generated from your code, like this one, class inheritance diagram. Looks like the stuff that uh, Doxygen kind of generates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone did mention that, that Doxygen with all the bells and whistles turned on comes pretty close to this. And someone on Hacker News said, quote, remember the days people thought they could build everything in UML diagrams and have the code essentially be generated or trivially written from there. Fast forward to 2023 and we are generating UML diagrams from C++ code because it's easier. End quote. <laughs> I remember when I just started um, in one of the uh, firms that I was a consultant in, we did use some, was it uh, something like expert UML or some, something like that? And we did try to generate code and it was such a hassle. Um, never done that before, uh, afterwards. But yeah, the other way around could be useful, especially uh, look, when looking at an unfamiliar code base. Right. Uh, that's the hacker thread, hacker news thread about it. Next, as announced, I watched this discussion from ACCU conference called C++ and Beyond discussion. Vittorio Romeo, Kevlin Henney, Nico Yositis, and Kate Gregory. It's uh, an hour and a half, and I gathered some quotes. Fair warning. Uh, a trigger warning, even. This video contains extreme C++ negativity. So, if you want Especially to watch it, from Nikolai. beware. Yes. And I thought I'd read some of the quotes that I've assembled. Starting from the introductions, there were 
Kate Gregory said, I'm part of the Carbon Project. Nico Yosetis said, I used to love C++, now I hate it. I proposed this panel because I like to complain. And Vittorio Romeo introduced himself as, I'm the young person of this panel. <laughs> and uh, then the discussion followed. Uh, Vittorio Romeo mentioned epochs as a way to progress uh, C++ evolution, combined with modules, like using an epoch per module. And he thinks, he still thinks uh, this would help. Although, as we've discussed many times, uh, uh, epochs in their current state, at least, would lead to uh, C++ dialects. Kevlin Henney said, quote, We are accumulating crap and adding more crap. And the committee members don't realize that because they are solving pet projects and saying no to other things. End quote. He said basically that we need another programming language. Um, as if we didn't have any more apart from C++. He probably meant the successor. And Nico Yosutis said, quote, C++ is fundamentally broken. I don't think we can solve that. I think the committee is not willing to solve that. And the reason is we have no common sense or common direction. End quote. He said that there is no language, at least currently, that can replace C++. So, quote, this is a dead language for the next 20 years. End quote. Wow. Maybe he was in a bad mood, but yeah, it really looked like uh, his uh, puppy dog died the day before. Kate Gregory said, there are some toxic pockets in our community that are celebrated. Here, here. And then no one talked about it again for the duration of the presentation. And Nico uh, continued, I sell a hell of a lot of books describing the nonsense and the bullshit we standardized. Well, I'm glad it's working, from, uh, working out for him. <laughs> Vittorio said, quote, I like Rust. I'm sorry if someone feels offended by this statement. End quote. Why would anyone be offended? It's another language. Use it if you like it. He doesn't see Carbon or CPP2 as viable paths forward for C++. Yeah, um, that much I agree with. Nico then said, C++ will be in top five in 10 years because there is no replacement. Kevlin Henney says, quote, C++ has got the wrong mechanism for its, for its future evolution, meaning the ISO process. Vittorio Romeo said, some people in the committee, including Biana, are against dialects. How can you convince them that we need dialects? End quote. And here we go, it's epochs again. Also mentions circle, which changes code meaning per module, depending on the uh, attributes or, or uh, compiler directives. Not ideal. Bryce says, 
There is no sense of common ownership in the committee. People are pushing their own papers. We need people to review and discuss other people's papers. Nico says, Usually when we vote on something in the standard, 90% of the people voting have no clue what they are voting on. Yeah, that sounds like a, a quite a big problem. Vittorio says, should we welcome new talent to C++ given how terrible and broken it is, or should we tell them to stay away and use other languages? <laughs> well, you can tell anyone to stay away, but that doesn't mean they will, given how popular C++ is. Kate Gregory mentioned Bianna's quote about um, the fact that there's, there are two kinds of languages, the ones that everyone complains about and the ones that no one uses. <laughs> Vittorio says, quote, I don't mean to sound like a Rust evangelist. I like C++, but... And then he goes on praising Rust. Well. Kate Gregory says, I like learning. And despite your doom and gloom about how broken C20 is, I've been having a lot of fun learning the new stuff, writing the new examples, figuring out how it makes code shorter and more expressive. End quote. Uh, there's a Reddit thread on this video. And one of the first quotes is Quite surreal to hear them talk about such doom and gloom over the future of C. And when they say broken, I mean, one, I mean, we can, in the course of the migration right now, actually found one of the things that was broken migrating from 17 to 20. But what these people were actually referring to in, in the sense of broken? I guess because they don't get the features they want and there is no easy way to extend C++ in the way they want it. So it's kind of broken for some people, but is perfectly okay for others. And uh, one of the main topics when people talk about how broken C++ is, is that uh, the ABI uh, stability. So because of the all the legacy stuff in the language and the uh, pretty much the inability of the committee to break ABI at this point uh, in order to keep backwards compatibility. Uh, some people say that this prevents C++ from progressing and also prevents uh, the committee from fixing uh, the stuff that's broken because that would break backwards compatibility and break like tons of code that's out there. Yeah, I mean, my, my thought, uh, you know, from the broken was, you know, like kind of the stuff discussed on like CPPcast was the kind of stuff about always getting the defaults wrong in some of the stuff. Like there was a paper recently on like using lambdas instead of functions because of certain cases of getting the, the defaults wrong and, and maybe just the the un, unintended complexity of the, you know, the, the combination of features I guess, you know, you know, when you need to have a whole book about initialization in C++. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. say that people are complaining because they don't see some features in C++. Probably they just lost in so many features that C++ has. And uh, on the other side, uh, all this uh, critic uh, stuff is... Uh, 
very constructive for me and very useful. Uh, for example, uh, the defective C++ by Yossi Kranin is uh, my go-to tool for every uh, pitfalls that I have in C++. So uh, I think critic is very important and uh, we should pick it up uh, process and probably make C++ better with the, will be easier if you know all complaints around. That said, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I would suggest watching the video because, you know, as, um, as it was excellently summarized uh, by Gleb, they do raise uh, a lot of uh, interesting points, not concluding with many solutions except for epochs, but the problems that they raise are all very real problems. And, and again, all concerning process on, on how to move forward uh, and so far we have uh, a list of ideas, uh, but none of those uh, widely accepted. So yeah, people ad advocate for uh, CTP2 or carbon or epochs uh, and no nobody agrees. And somebody just would like to see everything being broken, ABI wise um, and start over also with good defaults. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons why that's also a bad idea. So uh, that is the problem. That is why. Yeah, very well put. And the committee has its own problems. Some people say that the ISO process is at fault here. I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, if no, we neither, because, uh, you know, de definitely they have problems that they, they also go on about and uh, they explain in this video. And, uh, and, and it does sound very reasonable that uh, uh, the process is, you know, not ideal. But even if we had, uh, quote unquote, benevolent dictator uh, or anything like that, you know, even if we had a more streamlined approach and, uh, and, uh, and, maybe a more clear vision for the future. We still would have to choose between uh, different possibilities. None of those will uh, appease everybody. So yeah, I don't see a clear way out you know, in any way, but definitely there's probably a way of uh, improving the process uh, just, just to get people to actually read and be more informed when they vote for sure. Yeah, I would like to say that there are two points of view on the same uh, language because those who develop libraries uh, and those who develop applications, they have uh, opposite views. So C++ is a reasonable language whenever you have uh, a library that is developed already and you just make an application. Vittorio Romeo, who works on BSL, uh, uh, sees that from the opposite uh, point of view because he needs to support a library uh, that can be used in many different weird ways. And from that perspective, C++ is broken. It is very difficult to support library in such a way that uh, it would work uh, in, in those ways. For those who develop applications, the uh, situation is much easier. Yeah, but you would see that there is a lot of um, reasons to complain also from the user perspective, because we have this uh, report from NSA and other 
government entities that uh, that would say we shouldn't be using C++ for many things because it's not quote unquote safe. Um, so that affects users uh, mostly. And um, and uh, if you were to ask uh, many people, including Vittorio, uh, he would probably argue we could make it safer for everybody, including the user, uh, employing things like epochs, which to an extent it is true. And obviously, there is caveats to that. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what NSA would tell about assembler and basically still some stuff being written no, no, in assembler that's critical. That is banned. That is banned to, together with C++. I think uh, I think the, the whitelist is short, uh, including probably Rust or uh, a few others uh, that are, um, again, you know, quote unquote safer. But uh, if C++ is out, uh, assembly is also out. Yeah. Another quote from Reddit. At least they're being, being honest. It's a common perception here that committee-driven development in its current form is a fail. To which Daniela Engert replied, C++ is exactly as much committee-driven as users want it to be. The C++ committee are to, large degree, to a large degree volunteers that care enough to actually work on C++ and put a substantial amount of their time and money into that work. So yeah, uh, I think the time for having a benevolent dictator, if there was such a time, uh, has long passed. And now we are pretty much stuck with the committee. And I remember Bjarne saying that it's very difficult to work with a committee that has like 200 members because you can't get to a consensus easily. And like Nico said, uh, many people voting for features uh, have no idea what they're voting for, which is really sounds like a bad situation. So yeah, there's, there is no solution, no easy solution to this. But uh, what um, was jarring to me when I watched this video was the atmosphere of doom and gloom. I didn't, I didn't like that at all. You can be constructive and at the same time calm. And my impression of the panel was that Kate Gregory was the most calm and reasonable participant. It's almost like men are too emotional for C++. Am I right? <laughs> uh, I would say people angry because they have problems. Uh, they cannot, uh, and these problems, they just cannot... Uh, figure out how to fix. And, uh, he, and sometimes these problems are so deep in C++, so they just um, give up and just say, okay, I will use another language, but it's another problem. It's not another language that's so popular as C++. And it adds more angriness as well. Uh, I uh, I had talked several times with a bunch of uh, newbies uh, for C++ newbies and people who worked with C++ for several years. And uh, they almost everyone agree that it's too hard to to study and it's too many places where you can shoot yourself in the in the leg. Something is definitely not as well as it as it should be. The question is how to fix it.
then uh, Bjorn used to like say there was like a you know a nice language you know somewhere as a subset of, of the uh... oh yeah so, so, uh, somewhere yeah, in C++ somewhere in C++ there's a a smaller uh, nice language waiting to get out or something like that yeah I thought like <laughs> that was like the uh, the guideline library was supposed to like the guidelines were supposed to get towards that but Indeed, there is a, a, a video um, from another conference that came out recently from Bjarn, who, and uh, I don't know if you have it in your uh, slides, uh, Gleb, uh, and it goes through all, all of these problems from a more positive perspective, and it does mention this uh, subset idea, um, mm. but includes also adding more features, so uh, having it be a subset of a superset and then including the ideas of profiles which is a very interesting uh, proposal and and it does explain those very well in the video i don't know gleb do you know what video i'm talking about i think so i don't have it in the slides but i think i've watched it i'll uh, find it for the next time and uh, put it in the uh, show notes yeah yeah so victor chura provide some more optimism. Uh, fair warning, I think he works on Visual Studio, Visual C++ at Microsoft. But still, uh, he posted a, a blog post called Why C++ Today? It's, he says he's both C++ is both our legacy and our future. It's a very mature tools uh, ecosystem. Uh, lots of libraries, including the standard library, with valuable additions coming in C++23. And um, he finishes with this quote, every important piece of software we use today has some C++ in it. Maybe it's all C++. Maybe it has some important components in C++. Maybe its library is natively compiled in C++. Maybe its compiler runtime is written in C++. And he finishes with this quote, C++ is still the king of programming languages. <laughs> Long live the king. Well, uh, that yeah, sounded yeah. to me, yes, uh, perhaps a bit on the over-optimistic side, but still it's, uh, it's a nice contrast. <laughs> and uh, the other article of the same vibe is from Shando Dargo blog. Why use C++ in 2022? Uh, posted in November 2022. And um, yeah, he also says uh, that C++ is everywhere. Uh, granted, in many, in many cases, C++ is used because it's legacy, but it's only partially true because it's not, it's not as old as, say, COBOL, and also C++ is evolving. Maybe not as quickly as we'd all like, but still it is evolving. And I, for one, have quite a few hopes for C++ 26. Uh, there's still time and I'm optimistic because otherwise it would be a, a doom and gloom. Uh, interestingly, he says that there is an economic advantage to using C++ because it's very efficient, it's close to the hardware, and um, programs written in C++ consume 
less energy and have a smaller carbon footprint, <laughs> which in our situation where at the moment in London is 27 degrees, which is not an ideal working temperature. So yeah, drawbacks, obviously. <laughs> he says, bad press, quote, let's face it, C++ has a bad reputation. Yeah. We need a new marketing department, that is for sure. Yeah, a, a new working group in, in the committee. Um, he says, while the language is evolving, it's getting more difficult to learn. <sighs> True, but also the uh, new features uh, allow writing code that's more concise. Like in his example, what used to be a raw loop today can be written in a functional way. Instead of doing a full loop, you could use ranges to do the same thing and it would be more expressive and uh, shorter uh, code. Yes, but to do that, you need to know how to write loop and also you need to know how to write expressions and uh, use the SSTD library. So you need to, to, to study both. Otherwise, you will yes. not be able to, to, to choose what you need. Yes, and he says uh, pretty much the same thing, quote, while this is all fine and dandy, it also means that those who want to write better C++ code have to learn more. Yeah. Ecosystem, pretty much build system uh, situation in C++ is pretty tragic. And package management, uh, we all know that. Things are getting better slowly. We have more package managers uh, available and they sort of work better and better. But there's still a long way to go. And uh, that stops quick adoption of features like modules. We now have uh, C23, and we still can't use modules in a cross platform way because build system and compilers don't support them to the required degree. Indeed, if there was one thing I really, really envy from Rust is cargo. They, they yeah. are able to just have a single command that would generate all the directories with all the uh, tests um, files already and um, and it's all included packet manager everything it's amazing yes um, uh, this uh, article on dice is called C++ continues to surge up popular languages list and it's uh, that Tayobi Tiobi list so take it with a bucket of salt anecdotally I see some posts where people are returning to C++ after a hiatus or starting to learn modern C++ after having worked with uh, the legacy C++ for a long time. So, yeah, there's lots of learning required, but um, it's not all bad, I would say. Speaking of compiler development, we have this uh, toot on Mastodon by Sam, uh, who says, uh, GCC 14 is still in development, but it has a wonderful new feature in its static analyzer, switch minus F analyzer. 
It can now draw beautiful Unicode diagrams showing exactly how you went out of bounds. Thank you to the wonderful David Malcolm for implementing this. And here is a picture, and it's pretty impressive. It reminds me of something that used to be available in Clang, an LVM, where you could run a static analyzer and it would draw a diagram on top of your code with arrows and explanations on uh, some, some memory errors, for example. And this, uh, especially given the Unicode pseudo ASCII graphics in terminal, including emojis, it could be really useful. This is a static analysis tool. It doesn't run um, like a sanitizer. Uh, no, no, this is static analysis in GCC 14. Uh, just this, you just uh, provide this, this F analyzer switch and it does it. Like, a, nice. I suppose, like Clang static analyzer, something. Yeah, uh, this does look really nice. Right, next topic. Niall Douglas posted on Reddit. Review of proposed boost async begins. Quote, It is my great pleasure to announce the beginning of the peer review of proposed boost async, which is hoped to become the most popular way of programming C++ coroutines in future C++. Like many of you have found, until now there has been no good standard and easy way of writing C++ coroutine code which works easily with multiple third-party code bases and foreign asynchronous design patterns. ASIO's current coroutine support is tightly coupled to ASIO and it rejects foreign awaitables. LibUnifex, which is senders receivers, is dense to master and non-obvious to make work well with foreign asynchronous design patterns, not helped by a lack of documentation, a problem which also afflicts stdexec, which also has a steep and dense learning curve. CPP Coro, this is a library of coroutines written by Lewis Baker, I think, uh, on top of C20 coroutine support. Uh, CPP Coro, he continues, is probably currently the best-in-class solution to the space of easy-to-use, fire-and-forget C++ coroutine programming. But it isn't particularly portable and was designed long before C++ coroutine standardization was completed. So basically, this library, this new library, Boost Async, uses Boost ASIO as its base executor. I think it's going to be an alternative to senders receivers using the same asynchronous paradigms as currently ASIO uses. And hopefully it will enable more people to use uh, coroutines and um, asynchronous programming in C++ uh, before senders and receivers are complete in C++26 maybe. Uh, the quote continues, likely very common question, how does this compare to senders receivers? And std execution, P2300. Senders receivers are the natural abstraction over C++ coroutines and map orthogonally onto them. P2300 aims to implement structured, pre-planned rather than ad hoc 
initiate as we go, concurrency, which infers lazy rather than eager awaitables. A lot of the complexity and learning curve in P2300-based code stems from these design choices, plus additional effort to manage the by-default dynamic memory allocations of lazy awaitables. Boost async is eager awaitable and ad hoc concurrency orientated and doesn't bother with abstracting out C++ coroutines at all, instead choosing C++ coroutines and boost ASIO as concrete immutable design choices. It's almost the opposite of P2300 in terms of philosophy as a result by vastly reducing the number of potential customization points in exchange for getting users up and running quickly without having to think much about why or how. P2300 will have much more power and flexibility, but if you are happy with C++ coroutines and Boost ASIO and don't need anything more, Boost Async should be hard to beat." End quote. That's a very interesting development. I honestly, after, after all the critique that Niall Douglas posted of the years uh, for senders, uh, about senders receivers, I, I didn't have much hope for him doing anything about it. But this is, a, in my view, it's a very welcome thing that um, he started. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see it uh, because you've probably seen some code using senders receivers. It's pretty dense and pretty hard to understand. Maybe it's the unfamiliarity aspect, but... I mean, if we have something that's pretty much ready to use and it, which is based on Boost ASIO, which is currently the gold standard that we have already uh, for networking, um, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm really interested in this and I'm really happy to that um, this exists. Uh, I've just been watching Apple's um, presentations on async programming in Swift, and it's so nice and easy. I mean, if only we had something like that in C++. It's like a no-brainer. Everything works. If you if you know C sharp, it's pretty much like async await in C sharp, very similar. But uh, sadly, we don't have anything. Clo even close to it in C++, and if we have to use boost, a uh, boost async for that, so be it. And then we can wait for the proper general solution to everything in, f in the form of uh, senders receivers. There is a GitHub repository with this code. Uh, it requires C20 and ASIO. And this is documentation, uh, which is quite nice. So, yeah, happy to see it. Um, let's see how this progresses. Boost review takes months, I think. So, it'll be a while before we have this in Boost. But if you want to experiment with it, there's already a, a GitHub repository. Right. Next up is an article by Nick Athanasiou called 
Composing Callables in Modern C++ Quote Composing callables is a typical and useful functionality one could ask from a programming language. The canonical explanation of composition includes the example uh, functions, function calls uh, h of x equals f of g of x and equals in parentheses f multiplied by g of x. So the composition of two functions, f and g. Uh, this means, he says, the effect of calling h is that of calling f with the result of g of x. Being statically typed, C++ may appear as a nightmare of language to express such mutations. He provides then a, a possible implementation using mm, the usual uh, template metaprogramming stuff with some C++ 20 editions. He explains this uh, code snippet line by line, and it uses variadic uh, lambdas, variadic uh, function calls, folds, and uh, it sort of processes a list of the supplied invocables using uh, fold expressions. So it checks uh, if the, there's more than one, so this is like a recursive call uh, at compile time, because mm, everything con is constexpr, and uh, one branch of if constexpr checks uh, if there are multiple callables, and then it sort of composes them uh, by combining a call to itself with the head, and uh, then folding over the tail. As, as it's common in functional programming, which template metaprogramming actually is. And the other branch of if constexpr just invokes the single argument, uh, the single callable forwarding it, uh, arguments to it. And that allows you to write something like this. Auto h equals compose, parenthesis open, g, comma, f, comma, z, arbitrary number of uh, callables and what you get is a combined composed function h which you can then call with the argument you want and then he presents a new library solution using ranges in c20 and fair point uh, as it was mentioned you kind of it's good to know both solutions but you could almost argue that in order to implement something as, as he shows with ranges, which is using studviews transform and uh, com compose, composes functions by using transform for each callable and then using pipe to pipe the results of one transform to another. And what you get then uh, you call ranges single view adapter with the result of the earlier composition. And you get a range with a single element, uh, which is the result. And you can also sort of enclose this in a helper function using uh, fold expressions. So the final code is very short and concise. And you could almost argue that if you know ranges, 
you don't even need to know how to implement it without ranges. It'd be interesting to see the different assembly generated in various <laughs> cases. That's true, yes. Um, I did uh, notice some, some people post that compiler optimizations with ranges code is not as ideal as, as it could be. But hopefully that will improve with time. And to me, this ranges-based solution is much more concise and um, expressive. I wouldn't be surprised if the ranges-based uh, solution has less bugs, but is slightly slower, and the uh, uh, metaprogramming one has more bugs, but is slightly faster. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the case. Right. So the next one, uh, quickly, is an interview question. Uh, some, someone was interviewing for a high-performance C++ uh, position and uh, a quant C++ job, and he was asked uh, which is faster, an if-based uh, statement or a ternary operator. And the interviewer expected him to answer that if-else is better because it's branch prediction friendly, but the ternary operator isn't. And the original poster wasn't convinced that was, that, that was true. And interestingly, in the Reddit thread, most people who replied thought that these produced the same code and you can't just tell which one is more efficient without uh, either looking uh, at the assembly or measuring your performance. And prediction could well depend on, on the code uh, around that. So I think uh, the consensus is that it depends, but there's no like fixed answer to this, which one is more efficient. And most likely, a good optimizing compiler will generate identical code for both. So as far as interview questions go, this is not a good one. Yeah, I think that it's a, like a poorly formulated question. The answer is really, it depends. But if you look at the example code at the top of the page, these expressions actually are different because the if uh, code has two assignments, whereas the ternary operator has only one assignment and there could be some type of promotions and essentially it could generate different code. So it really, really depends on the compiler and the actual expressions. Yeah, so maybe if if... Uh, they replied to this question with more questions, like which compiler it is, <laughs> what's the code uh, around it, and so on. Maybe that would count as a as a good answer to that. Right. Uh, this is on Mastodon. Dario Basanjo posted a picture, and the comment is: When people say C is just C with classes. <laughs> And the picture is an image of a cute cartoon, cartoon pufferfish, labeled C, cuddling against a spike in naval mine, labeled C++. <laughs> and I think the idea is that both have spikes, but one is not the same as the other. Um, yeah, uh, we also had some uh, sad news. Bram Molinar passed away. 
he was the author and main contributor to the Vim editor. He was only 62, and um, yeah, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, on that sad note, uh, I think that's all for today. And uh, thank you for joining, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.